If you do have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to Jeremiah chapter 24. Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 1. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen and the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs, but the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Jeremiah? I said, Figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad figs are very bad so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, light these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set up my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down, I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so I will treat Zedekiah the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. And thus is the reading of the very words of God. We've all heard the story that Jesus told about two men who went into the temple to pray. Both men were in covenant with God. They both go into the temple to pray. One man was different from the other man. One man was a very religious man. One man could probably quote the entire Old Testament by heart. One man may see you doing something that was out of order with the law and he would have been the holy police and said, Hey, what you're doing isn't holy. Hey, what you're doing is breaking the law of God. As a matter of fact, one man would be considered the righteous of all righteous. The other man, though, was probably the vilest of all men. Not only did he work for the IRS, but if you did not pay your taxes, we read from history, these men would have sent cronies into your business, into your home. They would have beat you to make sure you get your money. If they like you, they may charge you a little less. If they don't like you, they charge you a little bit more. They ran the prostitution of the day. 
They weren't very good people. But yet, both in covenant with God, and they both go into a temple to pray. And the question is, who was the man that left righteous? I think we can look at today's passage and ask, who was the good fig and who was the bad fig? They both seem to be figs. Who was the good fig and who was the bad fig? See, Jeremiah sees this vision and he's asking the same question because this was the question of the day. Well, who are truly the good figs and who are truly the bad figs? And if you're taking notes, we're going to see three things because every good preacher has three points. The first thing we'll see is the true figs. There's two groups of figs. You have to have a true fig and a non-true fig. The second thing you're going to see is the good figs. We're going to identify who the good figs are. And the third thing we'll see is the bad figs. True figs, good figs, and bad figs. The little bit of history of the true figs as we look at chapter 24 is we know the exact date, the year in which this took place. Oftentimes we hear, well, we don't really know. We know. We know the history. We have things that are anti-canonical, other books that talk about what took place at this time. Matter of fact, we read in verse 1 after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. You remember Josiah had three sons that reigned, and he had one grandson that reigned. We know that in 605, Babylon came into the land of Judah, and they took a bunch of people, and they took them back to Babylon. There was a man that went in 605. You might have heard of him before. His name was Daniel. He went back in 605. But see, some years later, after they put a man on the throne, Jehoiakim, he reigned for three months, they thought, maybe we should make alliance again with, with Egypt. Do you remember Egypt enslaved the people of Israel and God said never make an alliance with them? Oftentimes, people long to go back to Egypt, long to make alliances with them. Jeconiah was the son of Jehoiakim, who was loyal to Egypt. Nebuchadnezzar did not like that. As a matter of fact, you can read in 2 Kings that Jeconiah actually thought that Egypt would come and help him. Egypt did not come. Egypt wanted no part of the Babylonian Empire. And eventually Nebuchadnezzar came down, and in 597, he took Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into exile. And not only did he take him, the king, into exile, look who else he took. Together with the officials of Judah, these are the educated people, right? The lawmakers some of the preachers, some of the mover and shakers, the craftsmen who were the carpenters, not the band, but carpenters who built things, and the metal workers. 
He brought them all to Babylon. Part of those educated people, by the way, was a man named Ezekiel, by the way. You probably read his book. He had some really interesting things to say. But he was taken there to Babylon. These people were stripped of everything they knew. Their way of life, their businesses, their families. Nebuchadnezzar came in and forcefully removed them, everything that they knew, and he took them into exile. You've probably heard some of the stories. They were forced to bow down and worship idols often. Some men stood strong and were thrown into a furnace. You read some of these stories about these people who were exiled at this time in 597. And now people are sitting around asking, okay, they've come to Jerusalem. See, they were on the outskirts. They actually came into Judah and Jerusalem and they, and they took people away. And the, and the question's asked, I mean, whew, what is God doing? We must be okay because we're still here. You can imagine thinking that, right? We're still here. Peace, peace, peace. The temple's still here. Everyone's still here. We're still doing good. We are still blessed. And God gives Jeremiah a vision. And this is the vision that Jeremiah was given when people are being asked, who are the good figs and who are the bad figs? We read in verse 2, one basket had very good figs, like first ripe figs. But the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad figs are very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. You need to understand that figs, you may not know this, they have two seasons. May and June, they have figs. They, they, they get ripe, and there's a harvest. And there's also a harvest in August and September. But the best figs were the first figs. It was a delicacy. They seemed to be much sweeter than the harvest in August and September. And here comes Jeremiah having this vision of figs. Good figs, real good delicacy figs, and bad figs. And I know some of you may be thinking, well, isn't a fig a fig is a fig? You ever heard that saying before? A fig is a fig is a fig. They aren't just all figs the same. If you've seen one fig, you've seen them all, right? Well, remember the purpose of a fig. See, we, we have sugar, processed sugar. We've tasted a real cookie. But imagine if you never tasted a real cookie and all you had was Fig Newtons. They'd be the best thing you've ever had. Figs were super sweet. One of the sweetest fruits that they had in the day. They used them to make all kinds of sweets and jams and, and breads. They loved them. But aren't all figs just figs? No. As a matter of fact, we heard this morning, Pastor Dave recovered this. Just because 
you were a fig doesn't mean you were one of the chosen figs. Just because you were a fig and you descended from Abraham and you had the blood of Abraham flowing for you doesn't mean that you belong to the figs. Not all children of Abraham are Israel because they are his offspring. This is what Paul teaches in Romans 9. See, he has always had special figs. He has always had a people set apart that were his people, that were sweet, that were right, that was his harvest. Remember when Cain killed Abel? The next son, Seth, there was a godly line that came from Seth, from Lamech to Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, King David. There was this godly line. There was always people in the midst of the rotten figs that were sweet and precious to God. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced crop, the tares also appeared. The wheat and tares grow together. You see this. You always have good figs and rotten figs living together. You had two men. One that appeared to be righteous. One that was filthy going to the temple to pray. But they both went into the temple. They both go to pray. They both live in the land. But see, this is just not an old covenant issue. This is a new covenant issue. Even in the book of Hebrews, the entire book of Hebrews is written because there was a group of people who wanted to go back into Judaism. See, when you were a Christian, you were persecuted pretty heavily. But they kind of let the Jews live because the Jews have been there for so long. They didn't like this new sect of Christianity, so they were thinking, let's go back! And many of them perished. Though they had been baptized, though they had taken the Lord's Supper, so even in the church, in the book of Hebrews, we see good figs living with the bad figs. And just because you were a fig doesn't mean that you were not rotten to the core. The question is, though, who were the good figs and who were the bad figs? See, this is the problem that we see in Judah. Judah. I have a friend named Scotty. He lives in Atlanta. He owns a business. And what he does for a living is very interesting. He does a lot of things. But one of the businesses that he has is people come to him who have a lot of money and they bring them an old car, either an old BMW from the 80s or an old Nissan. And they pay him a lot of money to take that engine out and put an LS motor in it, which is a Corvette motor. And then they go to the drag strip and people go, that is a junky old car. We're going to bet on this nice car. See, they didn't know that this car had a Corvette motor in it. They call it a sleeper car. Don't sleep on the car. That's where the saying comes from. See, they looked at the outside. They didn't lift the hood and look in the inside. On the outside, it looked like just an old piece of junk. But on the inside, oh, that car could move. See, the people in Judah looked at the people who were exiled and they were like, oh, rotten fruit, rotten figs, bad people. We're good. We're in the land. We have our temple. Remember the man that was born blind? 
few weeks ago? Remember they asked Jesus about him? Was it his sin or his parents' sin? Obviously, if you're going through hard times, if you're suffering, if you're exiled, it has to be because you are a rotten fig to the core. I mean, the people with all the nice things, they must be the blessed ones. The people who aren't going through suffering, the people who have good health, they're the ones that are the good figs. So you never judge a book by its cover. The good figs are actually the ones that were exiled. Look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. Who are the good figs? God says, I'll consider the ones who are exiled as the good figs. The ones that were going through sufferings, the one that was ripped away from their family, the one who was ripped away from their jobs, the one who knew life as one way, but everything was ripped from them. Those are the ones that God says I'll consider as the good figs. Not what the people of Judah thought. Not what we would have thought. But it kind of reminds us of what Jesus says. See, when those people were exiled, what did they have? They just had needs. They were poor in spirit. See, they recognized that their Health, wealth, and security doesn't really satisfy. This is what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those people, I believe it was Rob mentioned that at the Bible study this morning that Bobby leads on Tuesday about being poor in spirit. Knowing that all the money in the world is not going to satisfy you. Knowing that all the health in the world will not satisfy you. All the security will satisfy you. But Christ and Christ alone will satisfy you. God created a situation for these people where the only thing that could satisfy them was their God. And look at verse 6. I will set my eyes on these exiles, on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. See, that's the heart of the covenant of God. He wants to be your God. He wants to be your God, and He wants you to be His people. He wants to be in this relationship with His people. This is the heart of a covenant. Guys, I want to be their God, and they're going to be my people. They're going to be mine. Out of all the people in the world, I'm going to love them and set my heart upon them. I'm going to rip them out of this land, out of this sinful and cursed land, and I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. And look what, look what he says in verse 7 at the end of it. They shall return to me with their whole heart. If you remember anything about Jeremiah, remember he's the prophet of the heart. Judah, were, they were types of people who were just checking the box. If you ever read your Bible in a year and just check that box? And it's a great thing to do. 
But you could even do your devotions in the morning just like you're checking a box. Look at my box. Get them checked. Some people are box checkers, right? They have to have a list and they have to check it off, right? And it's not a bad thing. That's how God created you to be. Some people are like that in relationships. Uh, just checking a box. This is what they were doing. They were going to church to check a box and then they would go home and make sacrifices to false gods just in case. Just in case. They were just going through the motions. Their hearts were far from God. And God says, you will return to me with your whole heart. I want you to understand, this is before Jeremiah 31, by the way. If you know what happens in Jeremiah 31, we see this new covenant. And there are many things about the new covenant that are amazing, but I want you to see that even in the old covenant, he's still going to return them and they're still going to have these changed hearts. They're still going to have this heart change. And this is a foreshadowing of the new covenant. The better covenant. The new and improved covenant. It's not completely new. Because God has been changing people's hearts. Well, it's so new, instead of having the law written on tablets and forced upon you, now it's in your mind and in your heart. And the resurrected power of Jesus now lives inside of you. And you can say, praise the Lord for this law. I love it. I love serving my God because He has regenerated me in a way that I've never even imagined. No more need for someone to go to God. I can go straight to Him now for forgiveness of sins because the blood of the covenant has been spilt. And the people with the changed hearts were the ones that were not in the land. Do you understand how amazing this is to hear? Remember, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the land was what the covenantal promises were tied to. You wanted to be blessed? Go to the temple. Go to the high priest. On the day of atonement, he'll make the sacrifice for you. You want blessings? Move to the land. And what happens now? God says, okay, you know where my blessing is going to go to? Those out of the land. See, what God is teaching His covenantal people is it's never been about the land. The land was just a picture of the rest we will receive one day. He needed a land. I mean, He needed a Savior. And the Messiah was going to come into a particular land, into a particular people. But He's teaching His people you need faith. You must have faith. And the ones that were returning to Him with their whole heart was the ones that believed. The ones that trusted in His Word. We've seen true figs. You've got true figs and rotten figs living together. We know who the, who the good figs are. Those are the ones that are exiled. Now we get to look at the bad figs. I don't know if you've ever made a mistake in marriage. I made a mistake one day. Not today, but I have one made today. But anyway, as you know, we like to go to Missouri a couple times a year. And, and 
One year, we, we bought a minivan to go to Missouri. And probably the best, one of the best vehicles we've ever purchased since we've been married. This was Toyota Sienna, had the 3.5 motor, for those of you who are Toyota geeks like me. Had good gas mileage, it was large. I mean, it ran incredible. It was a used, older vehicle, but it had, it had low miles. We ended up driving it in Montana. It was the best running vehicle we had. It was super smooth. And I liked to hunt in Missouri, and I had this cooler, and I had venison and pheasant and quail in this cooler. And you know those little things you, you turn on a cooler, those valves that you have to screw down real tight? Well, Danielle had left it un... I'm just kidding, that was me. <laughs> I'd forgotten to screw that real tight, and I'm driving that home, and I look in there, I was like, well, it's still frozen. I need to let it thaw a little bit so I can process all this. I didn't know that all that juice was running into our van. I had to pay a man to professionally come and take all the carpet out, take all the padding out, steam clean everything, get everything done. And we still couldn't drive it. We had to sell it for less than we could have sold it for. And a, and a person with a large family, and he was going to take it to work, ended up purchasing it. Never did get that smell out. It was rotten to the core. I mean, it stunk bad. This is what Jeremiah is looking at. Rotten figs. Rotten. Absolutely useless for nothing. And they're so useless and so rotten. Look at verse 8. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so I will treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. Those who are in the land and in the land of Egypt. Verse 9, I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers. If you're remaining in the land, or if you're trying to escape Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army, and you'd flee to Egypt like many of them did, he says, you are a rotten fig. You will be destroyed. Remember, the blessings didn't follow those in the land. The blessings followed those who were in exile. You ever ask the question, why are those in exile, the good figs? And why are those left in the land, the bad figs? Did God look down the tunnel of time and say, you know what? Those metal workers are good people, like a welder, right? We have a welder in our church. Those are good people, salt of the earth. Carpenters, they're good people. Tradesmen, right? Public officials are good people. They're brilliant. They're pretty smart. They'll get the situation. You know what the sad reality is about those metal workers? They were the ones making the idols. 
Jeremiah tells us the land is full of idols. He says there were so many idols in the land, that's what the children will remember. Idols everywhere. Like trash everywhere, there's idols everywhere. Metal workers making them. The carpenters. Who do you think built that idol with the hands out where people sacrificed their, their children? It was a carpenter that built those things. Some engineer got together and built that. Who do you think built the horns on the altar inside the temple and all the pagan icons there in the temple? Some carpenter had to. Who do you think allowed all this to happen? Public rulers, the lawmakers. You can even say the leaders might have been the first one to sacrifice their children and set the example for all those who were following them. It seems to me like they were just as bad as figs as the people in Judah. It seems like they were all bad figs. They were all living sinfully, all checking a box, all pretending that they love God, but in their hearts, they did not love God. What made the people who were exiled different for those in Judah? It's God's mercy. It's God ripping them out of a land of sin and bringing them somewhere and changing their heart. At the end of the day, it's the Father that plans our salvation from the time of Adam. Remember the first man who represented us who fell? From the time of Adam. And if the Lord tarries another hundred years or another thousand years, or if He comes back tonight, it has always been the Father that plans our salvation. It's always been the Son that goes, dies on the cross, raises again from the dead that secures our salvation, and it's always the Spirit of God that applies that to our hearts. From the time of Adam for the rest of our days, it's the Spirit's work, it's the blood of Christ, and it's the Father planning to give us mercy. And if you remember the first five sermons in Jeremiah, Jeremiah speaks about a bill of divorce. God loved His covenantal people. As a matter of fact, He set them up in this land, and this land was supposed to be holy, set apart to the Lord. Have you read Leviticus ever? You want to talk about holiness. You got a whole book of holiness. Exodus, there's laws. Deuteronomy, there's laws. God is teaching people, I'm holy, I'm holy. You like shrimp? can't eat it because I'm holy. You like pork too bad. I'm holy. Not that pork is bad for you, though it kind of is. Holiness, holiness, holiness. Everywhere you turn around, no matter what you wear, what you look, how you act, holiness. The land needs to be holy. As a matter of fact, it needs to be so holy that there are wicked people living there. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, the Jebusites. Drive them out. They're pagan, they're idolaters, they're murderous, they're raping people. This is what we read of them. They're terrible people. Drive them out of the land because God says, I'm going to make my footstool, almost at the Ark of the Covenant, my feet are going to touch this land and it 
better be holy when I get there because I'm in covenant with you and I am a holy God and you will be holy. The land was so wicked. God ripped these people out of the land. He was cleansing the land. It was a very, very high cost for Judah. They paid a price for the cleansing of the land. They were ripped away from the land, ripped away from families because of sin, because of their idolatry, because they were just checking a box and going through the motion. It was very costly for God to cleanse that land. For Joshua and Caleb and those who cleansed the land, it was costly for them. Some of them died. Some of the soldiers died. It was costly. And for God to cleanse the land once again and ultimately cleanse your heart and my heart, it was costly. It cost His Son. It cost His Son. And you have to understand, when God cleanses, there's always a cost. There was a cost for this land to be cleansed. And there was a cost for our hearts to be cleansed. The good figs are those who the Lord rips away from their sin. You know that because some of you are good figs. And you're like, I know that. Because <laughs> I really was a rotten fig. And God made me into a good fig. And I should be rotten to the core. But I'm not. Because I have a new spirit. I have a new heart. And God changed me. And I don't want to be a rotten fig anymore. I want to be a good fig. And as we close... Would you think about the two men that went to the temple? The good fig and the bad fig. One who was very, very righteous and the other man who was the wicked tax collector. Which man ended up being the good fig? Well, you know the story. The good fig was the one that cried out for mercy. Not the other fig that said, Ha ha! I bet you wish you were like me, fasting and praying, giving your tithes. Look at me. No. The, the good fig was one who, who beat his breast in tears and said, I'm a sinner. I need grace. I need mercy. And God never turns away someone who cries out for mercy. You trust in Christ. It was costly. And when you look at the good figs and the bad figs, you have to remind yourself that there's going to be good figs and bad figs even in the church today. And God is constantly taking rotten figs and making them good figs. I pray and hope that you'll be encouraged to know that Christ shed His blood so we could be good figs. Sweet. Enjoyable. Pleasant. Happy. Joyous people. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of the Word.